Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Jim Kircher. St. Louis is preparing to allocate a half million dollars toward a violent crime and gun violence prevention program, and organizers hope to approach gun violence in the region as a public health crisis. Joining me in the studio today to talk about that are Polly Rehos of Washington University's Gun Violence Initiative and Jessica Myers from the St. Louis Area Violence Prevention Commission. Polly and Jessica, welcome to the program. Thank you. Well, here's the thing. We talk about violence, we talk about crime, and I'll start with you, Jessica. We usually think of it in terms of law enforcement. What are the police doing? What are the courts doing? What are the judges doing? When we talk about this as a public health issue, how does that approach differ from, say, a strict law enforcement issue? So public safety is an important part of the public health approach, but it's not the only driver. And so part of the public health approach is really looking at multiple sectors. Law enforcement and the courts are at the table, but we also want to bring in people who are working more upstream. So we're looking at education providers, housing providers, workforce development providers, health providers, hospitals, doctors, surgeons, social services, really all of the sectors that touch people across the lifespan. Are we going to the source of the problem in this case as opposed to responding simply to the problem? Yeah, the public health approach is very proactive. So we don't want to wait for violence to happen and respond. We want to look upstream. What are the risk factors that make someone more likely to be a victim of violence? Things like unstable housing, lack of interpersonal skills, and also what protects victims people from being victims. We know that having a supportive home environment, having positive peer interactions, having economic stability, all these are protective factors that can take someone who otherwise might be at a high risk to be involved in gun violence and reduce that risk over time. And all of this happens before someone picks up a gun and commits a crime. So Polly, how do you do that? I mean, there's a lot of factors here and a lot of things you can approach. That is true, um, and everything that I agree with everything that Jessica said. Um, our main goal is to prevent premature death, and this is why we use the public health approach. So first, we define the problem. We find out um, from data sources, but also from the community. It's important to center their voices. Um, we identify the risk and protective factors, like Jessica mentioned. And then at that point, we develop and test different prevention strategies. Um, we see how the wor they're working. And if they're working positively, then we may make sure that then we spread the word around our neighborhoods and our communities. I want to talk about, uh, in just a moment, the half million that the city is budgeting for this. But tell me a little bit, first of all, there's, we're talking two different programs or organizations, the Gun Violence Initiative at WashU, St. Louis Area Violence Prevention Commission. What is the St. Louis Area Violence Prevention Commission, Jessica? So the Violence Prevention Commission, or VPC as we call it, is a group of agencies and our mission is to align, convene, and communicate through all the agencies that are doing gun violence reduction and gun violence prevention. So we started in 2016 with a partnership between WashU and the United Way and about 40 agencies. And now we have over 140 member agencies, again, that touch every aspect of individuals' lives in the St. Louis region from um, birth to death. And so we really want to look at that holistic approach. No single agency can really effectively complete the public health approach. And so we convene all of the stakeholders to really have 
conversations about the interventions that we want to institute and also some of those risk and protective factors. And Polly, a little bit of background on the uh, gun violence initiative. The gun violence initiative was launched in April of 2015. Um, Sadly, there's not a happy story that triggered the launch of this initiative. Um, The chancellor um, and his wife, uh, Mr. Mark Wrighton and Risa Wrighton had been affected um, because they lost their mentee, Chelsea Harris, in December of 2014. And they thought that the university was uh, positioned and had a responsibility to the community to be part of the movement to address gun violence as a public health issue. We're very proud of our work and to have partnered with the United Way to launch the St. Louis Area Violence Prevention Commission. Okay, so the city has um, allocated a half million dollars for a uh, violent crime gun violence prevention program. Uh, that's probably, we'll talk about the Cure Violence, which is which may be the program that gets funded on this, but uh, this has got to be uh, good news, although some people say it's just not nearly enough. But what, what's your reaction to the city getting into this? I think we are, we are excited. Any funding that comes to address gun violence as a public health issue is welcomed. Cure Violence is a promising intervention that has been um, researched by institutions like Job Hopkins. Um, it is true that perhaps $500,000 is not enough, but I think it's a great start um, for our region. And it gives us an opportunity to really show in real time what working with the public health approach will do. So $500,000 one year could potentially turn into more if we're able to show the outcomes of a public health approach and the positive reductions in violence. Yeah, we talked to uh, Marcus McAllister, who's with Cure Violence, to talk a little bit about how this particular program operates. Again, this is not, this is one of the programs that could be funded by this, although that's not a a done deal, but it's a national program. It's going on in, in a number of cities. And it's uh, what uh, Marcus McAllister talks about is how, uh, who will actually be in the community and doing the kind of work. So let's listen to that. Primarily, the people that we hire are people we call them credible messengers. Me, myself, am considered a credible messenger, meaning, for one, whatever neighborhood the individuals are from, male or female, they have tremendous credibility, meaning they might have been through something, um, they could have been a part of the problem in the past. They could have been ex this, ex that, been to jail, you know, um, things of those natures. Those are, you know, individuals that change their lives because usually they're the ones that can penetrate the minds and behaviors of others that, you know, because people are looking for relatability. So when, when someone from the streets changes their lives and decides to do this work, they start to give back, obviously, to their community. So you're familiar with how this operates. Does this sound right to you? I mean, my, my first thought is if I'm in a neighborhood and here come the professors or the social workers or the experts or the reporters uh, telling us what we need to do. This is sort of an inside-out sort of a thing. This is, this is happening within the community, as I understand it. Does this sound like, is this something that's, first of all, a couple of questions. So let's just go to initially what he's talking about. Getting somebody from the community who knows the issues may have been, in one way or another, involved in, in, in violence and crime, um, uh, addressing these issues. 
in any discussion of public safety and the public health approach, we want to center it on a community. And community doesn't just mean the people who have never done anything wrong, the people who have never been involved in the criminal justice system. It's always going to be important whenever you're having these discussions about public safety and the public health approach to speak with people who may have had negative interactions with the police, who may have been incarcerated. Just because you have been to jail doesn't mean your voice isn't vital to interacting with the community and really setting the agenda for violence prevention. The true experts in violence prevention are the community members. So it's important to have those credible messengers and involve individuals who are affected by violence, whether they are former um, perpetrators or returning citizens or victims. So let, let's, let's, I'm always a, you know, uh, let's take an example. I mean, we hear about drive-by shootings, for example, innocent people on their porch or in their bedroom in their house um, being shot by, by flying bullets, right? Uh, somebody's doing something here. How, first of all, you know, if you see that in the news, you read that in the paper or hear it on the radio, you, you want the people to be arrested. You want them to find who did this. But let's take that back a few steps. How is something like that prevented? How do you get to the person who's got that gun in a car and prevent them from shooting it? This is definitely a complicated issue. Yeah, we've um, got a little time. Go right, ahead. as Jessica <laughs> alluded earlier, um, we need to address the root causes of the issues or the social determinants. So we're talking about poverty, um, racism, lack of access to living wages. Um, and we are definitely emotional creatures that react um, to, to being affected by trauma or violence um, and also wanting to, um, to prosecute the individual who has committed the crime. But we also have to remember that they are victims of the system. I also want to add that based on what we see or read or what we feel in our stomachs and our hearts, we feel that um, random shootings are happening constantly and that is actually rare. Homicides overall are rare. It only accounts for 1.2% of all of the violent crimes. And I think um, to your point, one of our committees at the Violence Prevention Commission is the Youth Violence Prevention Partnership, and they've been given a Safe and Thriving Communities grant. And they did some community cafes with youth to talk about what's missing. And so one of the things was mentoring. And how do you get those kids who may not be the kids that are going to other programs into a mentoring program? So for example, um, they subcontracted with Mission St. Louis, which is just up on Grand, and they're going to have an open gym night. Any youth can come to the open gym. From there, the hope is that they will then become invested in their youth jobs program. And so you're looking at reaching kids where they are and then hopefully connecting them to the social supports that make them less likely to be victims or perpetrators. Yeah. Bali, I appreciate your comment about the perception because a lot of this comes from uh, news coverage, TV news coverage particularly, but there are issues that are not being addressed. But still, it is something that... Um, you guys must be fighting, and that is the perception of, uh, like, you're just being too nice here, you know? You want to talk about, you know, hot lunches and gym programs, and, and I want to talk about drive-by shootings. So some of this is uh, the public perception of what you're doing and whether you can really be effective. 
There are different programs right now that are trying to not only address um, that perception, but that are actually um, reacting. So um, we were very fortunate to be able um, to launch the St. Louis Area Violence um, the, our hospital program, violence prevention program, and it's called Life Outside of Violence. So we partner with um, SSM, BJC, um, SLU, and OMSL, and we're helping victims of violence with the hopes that we can prevent them from getting hurt again or hurting someone else. Um, and we are hoping to see about 200 clients a year so that we can break that cycle because there is a natural cycle of individuals getting first in fights and eventually um, getting shot or perhaps dying. Uh, hold some of those thoughts. I've got a lot more questions. And in fact, I'd like to invite our listeners into the conversation. If you've got a question or comment about preventing violence, please give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. We're going to take a quick break but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com. So let's continue our conversation with Polly Rehos of Washington University's Gun Violence Initiative and Jessica Myers from the St. Louis Area Violence Prevention Commission. I have a question for you guys because you're talking about prevention. I wonder how you measure something that hasn't happened. How do you measure progress? We know how to measure crime reports. Uh, how do we measure progress in this? So. That's one of the biggest issues that you come across when you're doing violence prevention. How do you prove a negative? How do you prove that something didn't happen? So we are looking at crime rates, but we're also looking at other indicators. So some of the indicators that we're looking at are the number of people who receive quality evidence-based victim services after they were the victim of violence, the number of block units in the neighborhood, are neighbors more engaged in governing and policymaking in their neighborhood. Those are all kind of some of the social and protective factors that we can measure. You can't necessarily say we kept this homicide from happening on this date, but we are looking at kind of those upstream factors and how we may be able to engage with those. We're also tracking the number of victims that are seeing in the hospital. So we've partnered with the other three trauma um, centers um, to see how many people are coming in. Um, for every one death, there is there are six other shootings. So let's take a phone call from Ron from uh, Ferguson about gun education. Ron, your comment? Well, um, I would, you know, dare say I have not heard any real solutions that will help solve any of these problems out here. It all boils back to, to the family and the upbringing. Uh, the Black Sheriff Association put out a report about 10 years ago, and it showed, these, these were factual statistics, that 85% of African Americans who are involved in a homicide or a victim of a homicide didn't graduate from high school and uh, read at like the 6th or 7th grade level. So it tells me that we have to do a better job of uh, helping families. We always talk about helping neighborhoods. Um, we have to help neighbors, and somehow we have to get back to teaching people how to raise their children and educate them. It seems like to me lack of brain development is a cause of a lot of this. Well, but you know, our guests are uh, shaking their heads in a positive way, a yes uh, to a lot of what you're saying. 
You want to respond to that? The Violence Prevention Commission, one of the really unique things about us and the fact that we have so many sectors at the table is we do work from the grassroots to policy and systems change levels. So for instance, this Saturday, we're working with a couple of the council people and um, the St. Louis County Police Department in Jennings, and we're going to be doing canvassing connecting people to the United Way 211 and resources that may help meet their immediate needs, telling them about organizations that are having events, such as um, a backpack jamboree that's coming up where kids can get filled backpacks, and really doing that grassroots support, but also making sure that when we leave and move to another neighborhood, we've created the skills and the capacity for people in the neighborhood to continue violence prevention efforts. A, a big part of this is in, 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 the, in the things that, um, that Ron was mentioning. I mean, some organizations are dealing with families, some are dealing with schools, some are dealing with housing. So a key to this, I think, from reading what you guys have talked about and, and, and put out there, um, is that there's a lot of organizations. It's not just one or two or three organizations here, right? That's correct, and that's why um, we support a coordinated effort, and that's the beauty of the St. Louis Area Violence Prevention Commission. Um, something that Jessica hasn't talked about is that we were able to partner with Missouri Extension, and we have community coalition courses that neighbors can sign up. Um, there is one coming up um, in two weekends. Uh, there's one in August and September, and it um, provides um, neighbors with tools on how they can develop programming or ideas to address the different issues that are happening. Like Mr. Ron mentioned, it's important to not just address the victim of violence, but also the families. And our life outside of violence addresses issues not just for the client, but for their family. So the whole family is actually a client of the program. And you've also looked when you see the city trying to tear down buildings and vacancies and things like that. That's, that's an important part of this, yes? Yes, so we are very interested in kind of the spatial orientation of crime. And we know that crime is centered in certain neighborhoods, and we look at what are the place-based solutions to that. So vacancies, whether they're um, open lots or vacant buildings, are often associated with rises in crime. There was a recent study out of Philadelphia that actually showed if you mow the lawns and do minor improvements like putting up a small fence that has breaks in it and so people can use the vacant lots as small parks they showed a statistically significant like 30 percent reduction in gun violence 30 percent reduction in nuisance crimes around those areas but more importantly around those areas the residents saw a large improvement in their perception of public safety and their willingness to be out and interacting with their neighborhoods. So vacancy is a huge issue. There are tens of thousands of vacancies in the city of St. Louis, and that's why one of our partners, the St. Louis Vacancy Collaborative, the Green Cities Coalition, those are really important partners that we're looking at when we're talking about place-based violence prevention solutions. Got a Twitter comment from Tommy, and he writes, the Cure Violence Initiative, that's the one that might be funded by this half million dollars, uh, can't be labeled a public health approach if it is implemented in isolation. Their work takes place at the secondary tertiary levels of prevention. Violence is a symptom, not a disease. Your response to that? I do believe that is a public health approach-based program because it does treat um, violence as a disease. It was um, designed by Dr. Gary Slotkin that used to be the lead for the World Health Organization. When he returned back from his assignment, he 
he saw very similar patterns um, to outbreaks of diseases like Ebola. He saw those similar patterns in our violence, and he, he noticed that the vector was that bullet, and that's when he created um, Cure Violence. But he decided that the best medicine at that time was to have violence interrupters. How much pushback do you expect to get, or have you gotten, from uh, issues regarding Second Amendment and gun control? Isn't, isn't there always a suspicion that, you're, you know, that this is really about getting rid of guns? I think there's always the suspicion, but we have very few gun-related discussions, actually, at our meetings. We're focused more on interventions, especially um, the interventions that go on earlier in life before that person even touches a gun. So it's not about outlawing guns. It's more about making sure that people have the skills and the social supports necessary to not become a victim of or a perpetrator. Yeah, well, I want to hear uh, a, another comment from Marcus McAllister of Cure Violence to talk about um, the changes that a program like Cure Violence can make. I'm saying that it changes culture of a neighborhood when you start to um, put the right people on and doing the work from the neighborhood and make them into peacemakers. Not police. I'm not, they're not the police and I'm not saying anything against the police. I'm just saying that these are individuals from the neighborhood that are trusted, they've been through some things, and have the ability to go mediate a conflict or put out something small before it gets to be real big just based off of their credibility and relationships. So that starts to change them, and they start to change the people that look up to them around the community. Do you guys have the sort of support from law enforcement uh, that you'd like? Is there some skepticism uh, about this? I don't think there's skepticism. We have people from St. Louis City Police Department, St. Louis County Police Department, municipal police departments that are not only uh, members of the Violence Prevention Commission, but that chair some of our working committees and that serve on our leadership council. I think there is an increasing awareness among law enforcement that we can't arrest our way out of this problem. And even when an arrest is made, we know that over 90% of people who go to jail or prison are going to be coming back into their community at some point. And so really making sure that the skills are built on top of the fact that we do support law enforcement. We know that there needs to be people out there who are protecting and serving. And so how do we center that discussion around community? And people from the um, police departments have been very open to incorporating policing and community voice in policing. So they've been very supportive of VPC. Polly, would you say even before this half million and whatever is done with it, uh, that progress has been made? Or are you still laying the groundwork for this? I believe that we have made lots of progress considering that we started with about 40 agencies and now we have over 130 agencies or organizations that have joined the table. Um, we have secured um, different types of funding um, that has been dispersed into some of our um, smaller agencies that we may not hear about um, every day like Mission St. Louis, um, Alive and Well and others. Um, I also measure progress in the sense that individuals are attending our events, they're joining in conferences. We have a very diverse array of individuals in our group, like Women's Voices, Race for Social Justice, Moms Demand Action, the police departments. So I'm definitely proud at the level of um, outreach and the commitment of the folks at the table. Do you see this approach working in other cities? Are, are other cities ahead of us that we can look at and say, uh, yeah, we can plug this in here? 
I think there's several cities that have really implemented the public health approach. And one of the big promoters of the public health approach is the CDC out of Atlanta. And they have a lot of information about the public health approach. Each city kind of institutes it differently depending on which approach they want to use. So just because we say multiple cities are using the public health approach, that can be lived out in much different ways and in much different programming. What really uh, the focus of the public health approach is having those cross-sector collaborations and centering community voice. So we can look at different programs that are instituted in different cities but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what exactly would work in St. Louis. Another way that, uh, sorry, no. another way that we've made progress is out of our 81 uh, clients that we've seen in our life outside of violence, none of them have returned injured, um, which is amazing considering that usually injuries can, be, can happen up to 55% of the time. I want to take another call. This one from Nate is calling from St. Louis. Nate, go ahead. Got a question or a comment? Uh, hi, I'm, I'm I'm curious as to uh, how are we addressing the cultural competence and representation piece? Um, it's, it's it's like Marcus said, if you have someone from the neighborhood that's that is essentially rooted and, and well known, it's you know there's less barriers to break down and it's easier to create a dialogue. Um, seeing myself reflected, right as as uh, someone from the community should ease that process. So how are you guys addressing uh, the lack of cultural competence? So one of the things is that racial equity is one of the guiding principles of the Violence Prevention Commission. When our members sign their member charter, that is made very obvious. Um, and we not only want to use racial equity in the work that the Violence Prevention Commission does, but we also want to make sure that our agencies, that our members, are really working through a racial equity lens. To that end, this Friday at our quarterly meeting, we're actually having a presentation from Forward Through Ferguson about kind of level setting on racial equity. What do we mean when we say working through a racial equity lens? And so not only do we have that presentation, we have a racial equity and systemic racism committee that is working on issues around that. From there, we've had members of that committee join all of our other committees. We don't want to silo racial equity just in one committee. So we've really spread the message of racial equity across and hopefully we'll be able to engage our member agencies in a longer term analysis of really how does their agency work through a racial equity lens. So very quickly to wrap this up, um, I'm always I'm always looking for the, a next step or something to be hopeful about. This is steady work and I mean that sort of, you know, um, do you feel pretty good about this after the, the years you've been involved so far? I think we're really making progress. I think when any coalition like this starts, it tends to be a lot of people getting together at a meeting, having great ideas, but then everybody goes back to their overworked and under-resourced agencies, and you don't have some of that continuity. And I think we really have the partners at the table to be able to not only plan to reduce violence, but implement it across sectors and across the levels where people interact with um, service providers and police and also their community members. We have no option but to stay hopeful. Um, we definitely encourage our um, citizens to continue to vote, to volunteer, to voice their opinion, empower themselves with the facts, and to ask where their kids are playing and find out if there are guns and how are they stored. I think 
that we have a lot of opportunities to continue to grow and to continue to educate um, individuals on the public health approach that we are losing our men. We're losing young black men and we're losing our white middle-aged men to suicide. So let's remain hopeful. Great. I want to thank you guys for coming. Thanks for your work. That's Polly Rijos of Washington University's Gun Violence Initiative and Jessica Myers from the St. Louis Area Violence Prevention Commission. Thanks, guys, for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.